welcome to Humans of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. I love telling stories, and I love learning from other people. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just a starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. Today on Humans and Magic, I'm talking to Ben Friedman. Now, how do I even begin to introduce Ben's achievements? Quite simply, he's a beast. He's only 23 years old, but he's had three Grand Prix top eights, 18 Pro Tour appearances, two of which he's top 16 and one of which he's top 32. And he's got 150 lifetime pro points. Ben's also got four Star City Games Invitational Top 8s. And in his own words, it's been a wild ride. So I was super excited to talk to him today because I wanted to know how he managed to do all of that in a short amount of time. And what began as a normal conversation turned into philosophical, entertaining, and went into a bunch of different directions that I didn't originally anticipate. I think Ben is a very thoughtful guy, and you can see that during our interview, he had some pauses between his answers, and I kept most of them in because, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff going on in his mind, and I was extremely privileged to have the chance to talk to him. Along the way, he also talks about great friendships that have formed over the years, some of the teams, some of the experiences, some of the failures, and some of the successes. So I had a great time talking to Ben. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him, ahead of him both in terms of magic and outside of magic, and I hope you enjoy this interview. So today I'm here with Ben Friedman. Hey, Ben, how's it going, man? Hey, what's up, James? Good to hear from you. Hey, what what part of the world are you in right now? So I'm coming to you guys from, uh, actually, I'm talking through my uh, my car Bluetooth. Uh, I'm hanging out. Uh, I was just at some local tournaments in northern Virginia, and I live in Baltimore, but I decided to drive down because I was having a little bit of an itch to play some competitive magic. So uh, even on my weekend off, I uh, I can't can't shake it, you know. You know how it is. Yeah, man. Weekend warrior, right? Yeah, for real. I I you know I get home. I'm like, all right, nice. I have this weekend off. I'm like, ah, actually, I'm gonna play a little modern, a little legacy this weekend, and then on July Fourth itself, I'll 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 have the day off to to go do other stuff and and you know cook out with uh, friends and stuff. Nice. So you're a man of action, I guess. It's hard to just stay home and uh, and 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 sit there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For real. If I'm if I'm not moving forward in some way, I feel like I'm you know just just burning daylight, and and that sucks. Right. So how's your week been? I mean, how how's how are things going for you lately? Oh man, it, it's been good. So um, I mean, <laughs> look, it's it's hard to complain. Uh, I'm I'm a lucky guy. I I get to play competitive magic. 
I've made something of a name for myself at this point. Um, I can, you know, walk into a, walk into a tournament and, and almost anywhere I'll have at least a few people that I know. Um, so I've, I've been on a bit of a, uh, a travel run lately. I, you know, went to a bunch of Grand Prix, uh, doing a little road warrior type thing and it's been okay. Uh, I, I came up short in my goal to, uh, to qualify for Sydney and then potentially leverage that to get enough pro points to get gold. So right now I'm just kind of hanging out with, um, with my silver invite in my back pocket. And, you know, although it was disappointing to play in a bunch of tournaments and not really see too much of a reward for it in the last couple months, I, um, I, I really, I really can't complain. Um, I'm, you know, just, just hit the threshold for, uh, well, when I play in the pro tour in Honolulu in the fall, I will hit that 150 pro point lifetime threshold. So I'll be uh, eligible for the hall of fame. Although <laughs> I don't really harbor any illusions that I'm going to get voted in. Least, <laughs> well, you know, I'm certainly, I'm certainly rooting for you to be in the hall of fame at some point. That, that would be, that would be awesome. But just for the listeners who yeah. don't really know the difference, like what is the, what is the gap between silver and gold? for you right now mm -hmm. personally yeah i mean so uh the way it works uh silver level is 20 or 18 points and up uh in a given season and the pro points are awarded you know at pro tours and grand prix and right now i have 25 or 26 i'm not sure but kind of halfway to that mark where your gold level pro which is 33 and that qualifies you for all the pro tours and we kind of we're kind of coming up dry for the rest of the season because there's only one more grand prix that i can play in and it's in montreal and even if i win the tournament i won't get gold although i wouldn't complain about winning a, a grand prix that would be awesome but um but yeah i mean it's it's been kind of a, a slog as of late with regards to my my magic stuff but um um i'm hoping to uh knuckle down a little bit and um put in the reps to, to get some knowledge with uh, different different decks in different formats. And I came up really close in the last two modern Grand Prix I played in. I, I lost winning ends in both of them in a pretty dramatic fashion. And hopefully this next one in Indianapolis, hopefully that one will be the one where I finally knock out that top eight. Uh, it's, been, it's been a long time since I, I had a GP top eight. And, um, and, then, and then use that as kind of a leverage to to start my season off right and and hopefully get gold next year or uh, or or hell even better all right so ben let's start from the beginning tell me a little bit about where you came from and uh where you grew up yeah sure man so yeah i guess not that many magic players know too much about my background so i uh i was born and raised in baltimore maryland which is a pretty nice place to live if you're going to play in a lot of high level magic tournaments because there's it's easy travel to almost all of the different East coast, uh, tournament locations. And, um, yeah, I, I've lived here my whole life. So I Ben, tell, I, me, I, tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your family, like your, your mom and dad, what do they do? And, and, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so things started out, uh, you know, I, I have the very, very plain Jane family situation. Um, you know, growing up, mom, dad, and younger brother and sister, 
and uh, dad was doing computer programming. Mom was a college professor. And yeah, so just, you know, you're pretty, pretty standard American dream and all that jazz. And I, I was in, uh, I guess, I was six years old on the school bus and some other kids were playing Pokemon cards and that kind of started it all off. So I had to, I had to be cool and play Pokemon with them. So I got some cards and then a couple years later I graduated to Yu-Gi-Oh and I was playing that for a few years. And then by the time middle school rolled around, all my friends were playing magic cards. So I figured, you know, what the hell? Uh, I, I was the best Yu-Gi-Oh player. I could be the best magic player at my school also. So I, I got really into it. I, I always was very competitive and um, started looking online for different decks and strategies. And I remember there were, uh, you know, it must have been 2004 or something like that. So that ben, I was, when you, yep. you said you've always been competitive. I mean, was that for, was that during when you started playing Pokemon with friends at school or were you always competitive for like even farther back than you, as you can remember? Yeah, I mean, even playing, like, Monopoly or chess or whatever at home, uh, just any casual board game, I I wanted to win. I mean, I always got a rush from winning, but I think that's fairly, uh, fairly normal, especially among, you know, little boys, that uh, it's normal for a, a six-year-old boy to, to say, yeah, I want to win. Even, you know, I was playing soccer in my youth league, way way back in the day in the peewee leagues and and yeah so i was always pretty competitive but um magic was just a, a really good outlet for that because i it, there was infinite uh creativity available i was able to play in tournaments and win money and that was really cool to me as a as a middle schooler to, to come in and say i made 50 dollars playing in a magic tournament this weekend which, you know, everyone would ooh and ah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, it was uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and, and I got more and more into it. And it's the kind of positive feedback loop where as you do something more and more, it becomes more and more natural. You get better. You get more enjoyment out of it. The same with any any competitive or uh, or or really any any pursuit whatsoever where you're putting in that effort and you're getting the reward of, of improving your skill. And, and yeah, and so that's how it, sh how it shook out for me. And, and I've been playing ever since. Right. And when you first started playing magic at school, do you remember what, were there any particular cards or decks that you gravitated towards in the beginning? So I remember, I think the very first deck that I got for myself or I should say that mom got for me, uh, was a, it was dark steel. So it was the height of ravager affinity, uh, in competitive magic. But in my world, it was, Ooh, look at this cool modular deck. So there was a, uh, there was a, um, a pre-constructed deck that I got a theme deck and I, you know, got all the cards started, said, Oh wow, this is awesome. And then I, I would trade for cards for my friends and I would add them, add them to the deck and I wouldn't take out anything because why would you want to take out any of these other awesome cards? So yeah, you know, the classic story, a uh, little kid with an 85 card, uh, blue, black modular deck going up against people playing fully powered skull clamp 
goblins <laughs> or skull clamp affinity in the local tournaments. Um, and I think so. I played that. And so how did no you go other, from playing other... like the casual eighty-five card deck to playing in a in a tournament? Was there some yeah. point that you decided like I'm going to go to tournaments or? Yeah, so, so every Sunday there was a weekly standard tournament at a local card shop in, uh, in Baltimore. And I would go there, and that was my thing to do on the weekend. Because, I mean, lazy Sundays for a little kid who doesn't really have that much going on, um, th- this, was, this was a godsend. I was, I was able to, you know, go meet new people. Uh, I w- must have been, you know, 11, 12, 13 at that point. And my parents would leave me there for the whole day. And, and I, I was meeting people, learning a little bit about the game. There was one guy, a, a friend of mine named Darren, who lent me, he would lend people decks. He had all, uh, multiple standard decks and he would let people borrow them uh, in exchange for, you know, some small percentage of whatever they won in the tournament. And I never really won in those early days, but... Um, he let me borrow a Quark Clan Ironworks deck. Uh, and this was, you know, the kind of bastard cousin to real full-powered affinity back in those dark days of, of uh, Mirrodin. And uh, it, was, it was a neat combo deck, and, and I liked it. I, I enjoyed the fact that I could just beat people on turn three and make a million uh, stupid little dinky mirror, mirror creatures and kill them. And to be completely honest, um, it wasn't about uh, a particular strategy really working for me as much as, oh, wow, I can actually win at Magic in this competitive setting, and I'm, and I'm actually playing a good deck. And, and so I was never super caught up in playing uh, my own rogue creations uh, in those mm. days. It was more about getting getting legit, like feeling like I was a legit magic player who, who knew the ins and outs of the competitive tiers of standard. And, you know, I, I gravitated towards, uh, like white weenie and, and little dinky creature aggro decks for a little while. But, um, you know, playing in the local tournaments, that was good enough. And, and I wouldn't win very often, but I also wasn't very good. And I didn't have that many good resources to getting cards. Darren, you know, helped me out a lot. And we would play, even back then, they, they had legacy decks, really old legacy decks, like Threshold with before Tarmogoyf was a card. And I would get to play with that and Goblins. Like, I, I just couldn't get enough magic, you know? Um, and, and so that was fine. But then right after eighth grade, so right as I was starting high school, there was JSS. Uh, or, and I finally was ready to, to play in the in the big leagues and I had a JSS Martyr is the Pan- Junior Super League, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. They they had this up until two thousand seven. So I got I caught on right on right at the tail end. And uh, they called it the Magic Scholarship series or the Junior Super Series. They called it a couple different things. And I got to play in the very last year of the of the, the that tournament circuit's existence. And I was playing a Martyr of Sands control deck. And, um, and uh, one of my other good buddies from way back in the day, Connor, and I thought that this was really a bright idea because most people would be playing uh, zoo or uh, gruel aggro decks, like red-green aggro or zoo. 
and Martyr of Sands just really just mopped the floor with those decks. And, um, and, and it was right back in U.S. Nationals 2007. This was, this was a, a very good incidental metagame call. So even though I played in the Junior Super Series Championship there at, 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 in Baltimore, U.S. Nationals 2007, I got three unintentional draws with my deck. And uh, I think I only lost like two or three times. So I, I had a good enough record to make top eight, except I got a bunch of draws because I was playing a slow deck. Anyway, so I, I did get $500 of scholarship money. And I thought this was just the coolest. And that is kind of what set me off. Like, now I'm good. Now I know what's up. Now comes the next rotation. Warwick, I thought, all right, I'm going to play fairies. I'm going to play the good deck. And um, when that, that, that first time for you in eighth grade, was that the first time that you... I mean, how far how far back was it that you already knew about concepts like the metagame and and building a particular deck to beat other decks that you knew were going to be in the room? Um, so I think even as far back as like when Kamigawa was first printed, uh, I knew. Okay, so I think right after Affinity got banned, uh, I was thinking, all right, we're going to play. I'm going to play White Wing because that that was the deck that I had the cards for. Uh, that was just stuff like, right, I'm going to just play whatever deck Darren hands me, or even before that, it was just, oh, I'm just going to play Burn, because that's a good deck. And it was not a good deck, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, so then I, um, yeah, I, I started to get in, interested in, oh, you know, how can I beat Tooth and Nail playing White Weenie? And we were talking about, you know, I, I, I got on different uh, online forums and I was posting in there trying to trying to talk to other people and see how White Weenie could be a good deck. And it was a pretty good deck, but um, I was not quite good enough to play it very, very well. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I think it goes almost, there must have been like uh, a couple months or so where I didn't really know any of that. But by the time I was hanging out with the locals and uh, just absorbing that information. They, they were all, for the most part, very welcoming. Uh, there was only one real, you know, kind of sharky, sharky, scummy player um, that I can remember. Every, everyone was, was very nice for the most part, and I, uh, I really flourished there. And uh, I don't think that I would be where I am today if mom and dad didn't let me go uh, go play in those, in those Sunday Standard tournaments because... Um, definitely put me off on the right foot with regard to thinking about constructed and specifically standard week in and week out. And incidentally, it also helped me with legacy because even though the tournaments weren't legacy tournaments, I, I played, I, I played with dual lands. I played real, real old fashioned werebear threshold and, and vile goblins in 2006 before Tarmogoyf was even a card. And I remember going to the regionals when Tarmogoyf was first printed. And, oh, man, if I could go back and buy a bunch of $3 Tarmogoyfs, you bet I would. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. But, yeah, now now that has that was a good base to, to jump off and start getting involved in, uh, in more competitive magic. And it also gave me a nice jumping-off point for Legacy because uh, the longer your or the, the more longevity you have with that format, the better off you are in general. 
Yeah, that's that's the reason why I'm asking you these questions is because I really want to under I'm trying to understand. I think I have now understand in terms of how you got so good or leveled up so quickly. Because I mean, it sounds like even when you were extremely young, like maybe 11 or 12, you were playing in weekly standard tournaments. It's not always the case with a lot of Magic players where they have shyness or they have they 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 don't want to do that. But it sounds like you were very willing to to dive in and you were willing to get better I mean by going to forums and asking for advice and it, it sounds like from the beginning you had this mindset of I, I want to win and I want to figure out how to get better is that fair? Oh yeah I was obsessed I would I would sit there in class and just think about okay I, definitely for JSS National 2007 I remember sitting in my classroom just thinking and just writing decklets over and over again with sideboard plans and like um and, and sculpting it saying, all right, this is, this is the, the sideboard I need. And, and I remember thinking, okay, you know, when they printed planar chaos, it was like, how can I, uh, like what, what decks, can, what cards can I use? Can I splash black for extirpator? Can I splash red for, for this or that? And, and really thinking, thinking hard about different ways to, uh, to make it so that my deck was perfectly lined up post sideboard against every deck in the format and uh, trying things like playing four colors and the Tron mana base. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was what they call going deep. But I had, it was blue-white Martyr of Sands, Tron, like Martyr Tron. So Gab Nassif played that at a world tournament, and I, and I looked at his list, and I said, you know, for the mirror match, I'm going to splash some extra pace. How am I going to fit those in? I don't know. Let's, let's try and massage the mana base. I play some prismatic lens. And, and I want Detritivore to also be good in the mirror match. So I had all these like techie cards to beat the Martyr Mirror, which I thought was going to be popular. And, and you know, it, it was, it was pretty good, all things considered, uh, for, for these wacky three color Martyr Brews that I was coming up with. But, um, yeah, really the salient point there is I, I was comf- I was way more comfortable at the Magic tournaments than I was in as you know an awkward preteen uh and i was super uh obsessed with getting better with getting my deck to win i just i just knew that i could do it and i i was just really overwhelmed by the possibility of being uh world class at that magic mm-hmm. were there people that in your group or in tournaments that you looked up to at that time, like either online or in real life, that uh, that you know you you said to yourself you wanted to be at their level, maybe or oh yeah, there were a couple of folks. Um, I had uh, Darren who was lending me cards, my friend Connor who uh, I would hang out with uh, from time to time, and a couple of years older than me who I looked up to. Another another kid named Matt who I. Uh, always saw as like this is the cool kid. This is who I want to be like. And you know, he was he must have been you know 15 or 16 when I was 13 or 14. And I would just be like, Yo, Matt, you know, I see he. he I, I forget. I remember he got a tattoo one day, and I and I was like, Wow, that's super cool. <laughs> you know. And then and then he proceeded to to walk all over the tournament with uh, whatever deck he was playing. And I was like, Wow, you. I, I want to be as good as you. I want to be as cool as you. Um, and, and that, and, and they were always very nice to me. And that was, you know, really a blessing because, um, 
like like most uh, nerdy kids, I was trying to find my way in a in a world that I didn't quite fully understand how to interact with in all the best ways. I mean, you know, it, it's pretty pretty easy for a kid who thinks he's he's super smart uh, to to come off as a little brash and abrasive, and and I know I did that plenty of times as a, a little punk teenager uh, and preteen, but but these uh, these people took me in anyway and um, and and that was that was all I could hope for yeah so what was your I don't know if your school had clicks um, but what was what was the part of the group you were with what was your crew like in school was it the magic players or was it something else so definitely in middle school um, during lunch we would sit and play a giant multiplayer game of magic um, then I, I was still playing, you know, touch football with the other guys at recess. It was a small private school, so it wasn't like just a huge, um, com- complete uh, mess of, of people. So there were only a couple different groups, um, but I was able to interact with everyone, you, you know, the, the even in middle school, the teachers would say, you know, you can't exclude, you can't tell someone they can't play football with you. So if I wanted to go and play football, I was allowed to. I wasn't very good, but, you know. It's more about it what was, you want to do, right, and not excluding people. Yeah. yeah. It was it was fine, um, but definitely, you know, the people who I would go to their birthday parties and things like that, uh, I remember, you know, in middle school, sleepover birthday parties where we would stay up all night eating uh, popcorn and, and pizza and candy and whatever and playing Super Smash Brothers Melee um, nice. or, or whatever, playing Magic and, uh, you know, watching watching movies. And, and, and it was it was just a great time. Um, and, and, yeah, that was that was my crew. So, so I mostly hung out with the, uh, the nerdier, magic-y player kind of kids, but it was a, uh, it was a tight-knit enough grade that, um, I was I was still able, and really anyone was able to talk to anyone else. There was not really the I, I wasn't really getting bullied or anything at school. I just you know found my my inner confidence a little bit more in magic compared to in school, where I was like you know trying to trying to fit in with a bunch of people, and I just wanted to have people who I could call friends. But at Magic, I thought, you know, I'm going to excel. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be, you know, I hesitate to use the term, but, you know, I'm going to be an, an alpha male of this environment. Even though, obviously, I wasn't. I was I was a little a little punk kid, but I thought that I could. I, I, I just had a little bit more of a backbone. Right. Right. Well, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> I mean, I made, I made tons of friends. I, I think some of the people I met playing Magic are the most interesting people. Mm-hmm. That uh, that there that there are to meet in the world, people who think about the world in in interesting and different ways, and um, yeah, I, I I don't think that it was uh, time poorly spent. I don't think that anyone would uh, would disagree with that. I I, I think. Give that, me an example of yeah. that because you you said that some of your friends may think about magic in kind of interesting ways, maybe even outside of magic. Did you guys talk about a lot of things outside of the game and? Um, what what was the group like? I mean, just in terms of the diversity, or maybe the, how they how they thought about things. Give me an example. 
Yeah. So, I mean, people, people come and go with magic. Um, people, the, the, the tough thing is that a lot of the times people move away and you don't see them at tournaments and, and you don't get to spend as much time talking to them, but you know, I had, uh, a, a good friend, still, still a good friend, a guy named Dave, who um, he was, he wasn't still is, you know, almost 10 years older than me. And, uh, and I was a little punk, you know, 14 year old kid. And he was just graduated from college or something like that. And, he, and, and I was asking him, yeah, Dave, man, I, I don't really know how to talk to girls. What should I do? And he said, don't worry, I got this. Let me, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to write you an email. We were, we were exchanging, uh, emails, uh, as well. And he said, all right, I'm, I'm going to lay it all out there for you. But, um, yeah, like just, just kind of explaining to me that it's okay to, you know, to feel a little awkward and embarrassed in front of girls, but you know, you gotta, if, if you want to talk to them, then you gotta stand up to that fear and do it anyway. And, and stuff like that. People who, would advise me in ways completely separate from magic um, and, and people who, who really helped me um, kind of, kind of pushed me to grow as a person. So in addition to that, you know uh, definitely people who, who filled in kind of a role halfway between a brother and a, and a dad uh, guys who were, you know, somewhere between five and 15 years older than me, kind of teaching me a little bit about, you know, what there was to expect, uh, in, in the years to come. And, and that helped a lot. And, um, yeah, so learning a little bit about, uh, you know, what to expect come college and, and stuff like that was, was very helpful. And, um, just, just having, having those friends and, and having people there to kind of keep me sane, to guide me and to, you know, let me know when I was going uh, a little, uh, a little insane or going off the, off the beaten path a little bit, uh, especially, especially because when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, I had a lot to learn about um, not being selfish and being nice to other people. And, um, and they basically explained it to me that I, you know, had, I was risking creating a very toxic environment for myself based on my attitude. And, you know, just cause I'd won a couple of magic tournaments didn't make me didn't, didn't ob- obligate everyone else to be nice to me, even if I wasn't being nice to them. And I should just kind of, you know, so was it selfishness or was it sort of uh ego that you had yeah, ego, you ego, had? selfishness, just not, not really being able to empathize well with other people and um yeah it, it, i mean that's just a part of growing up for a lot of people but they they helped me grow up and some people have a hard time growing up and getting that extra reinforcement was was good and seeing really seeing firsthand uh when 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 they were saying yeah you know you're I, I've noticed that you've relaxed a lot in the last couple months. And this was, you know, years and years ago. And I was like, all right, yeah, cool. I'm glad that I've corrected the the behavior that, that was really annoying everybody. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like you had a pretty good group of friends who were 
some who were ex more experienced in life than you, you know, someone like Dave who was maybe 10 years older, and so he's been through some of that stuff, so he could kind of, they could kind of keep you honest and give you some advice um, that you may not have, get from people who are just the same age as you in school, right? Yeah, and, and you know, uh, people driving me to, to Grand Prix and stuff when my mom, my mom wasn't going to drive to Ohio or whatever, six hours to a Grand Prix, but uh, my friends would, and they said, yeah, I can come along for the ride, or a PTQ. My mom wasn't going to take me uh, an hour to a PTQ, but she said that if someone scooped me up from school, I could hang out with them for the, the weekend, and 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 that was good for me to be able to get in a little bit of higher-level magic, and good that I was really expanding my horizons beyond just the kind of the two, the two poles of most kids' lives, their school and home. Right. Right. Okay. So, so if I if I can just jump, yeah. If I could just jump ahead a little bit. I mean, you you won this. We're going back to like you won five thousand dollars the in the scholarship money. Uh, what was your next big tournament success, or what was the thing that made you say to yourself like, I've made it. I've sort of got onto the magic proverbial map. Okay. Yeah, so, so that that in, in eighth grade, I didn't really. Uh, that was only five hundred dollars. It wasn't five thousand. Oh yeah, sorry. I mean, yeah, five hundred dollars. Yeah. No, sorry. no matter. I, for for a fourteen year old kid, I thought that's pretty great. Uh, but then I was I was basically that was the line between being kind of a fish and, and turning a little bit into more of a shark uh, in terms of my my local success. Um, so I remember I was obsessing over my DCI rating. I, I in in that one tournament because it was a, a big tournament with a, a large points multiplier. I I went I, I got myself to like the, the top fifty in Maryland, which is nothing in the grand scheme of things. But for me, saying oh wow, you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and, and get on to get get a really high rating. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I was playing in a lot of tournaments and doing that. Uh, every week I, I started winning. I was playing really good decks, um, playing fairies uh, in back when that was the best deck with Bitter Blossom, and um, and and yeah. So you know, I think that the next big finish for me, I was playing black white tokens in like. 2009 or something like that and I lost in the finals of a PTQ to my uh, much much later on would become my uh, my East West Bowl teammate uh, Tommy Ashton and I I kind of I, I had really I thought that tournament was mine to win up until Tommy uh, Tommy beat my face in in the finals and I I was so depressed I thought all right I'm never gonna play on the pro tour this sucks mm -hmm. um but I, I just kept kept grinding, and uh, I remember I think it was in early 2010. So I was uh, 16. I won a PTQ. Uh, I played against AJ Soccer in the finals, um, and uh, he actually conceded to me because he already had an invite uh, to the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, so I. I, I somehow, you know, was lucky enough to get to get that that boost up, that leg up to go play in the Pro Tour, and I got to go with my mom to San Juan, to Puerto Rico, to play in the in my first Pro Tour, and I 
got my teeth kicked in. I played against uh, Brad Nelson, and he beat me. I, I didn't do very well in that tournament at all. Right. But um, so there was that, and then I instantly followed it up. I came back, and I was kind of like, all right, well, screw this. And then I just followed up with another PTQ win. I went down to Roanoke, Virginia, and I won a PTQ in June. And um, And that's when I was like, huh, maybe there's something about that. I went to Amsterdam for that pro tour. I skipped the first three days of senior year of high school for that, which was kind of fun to tell the principal, I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Um, and, and that was when I was like, yeah, you know, okay, I, I think that I'm, I'm moving on up in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got beaten that tournament a lot also. And then I thought, all right, you know, that, that might be it for me. I, I missed on uh, a winning in at a Grand Prix to qualify for Pro Tour Nagoya, and I thought, all right, well, this sucks. But I was getting better and better the whole time, mm-hmm. and so I I got a qualification for Pro Tour Philadelphia, which was the very first Pro Tour of uh, fall 2011. I got a qualification off rating, and I got it by the slimmest of margins. Mm-hmm. I was the last person the very last person qualified for that pro tour on rating like mine was the bottom rating of the ratings cutoff back when they did rating based invites sure philadelphia incidentally was a drive from my hometown of baltimore so i was able to just drive there i didn't have to worry about paying for a flight and you know all of these circumstances just somehow came together so that i played in that tournament and what do you know i i I got top 50, which was enough for another, another invite. And that was when I was like, wow, okay. All right, here we are now. Now we're legit. Um, we, we're going to make a real run, run at it. And that was, that was the start. Um, I, I cashed the pro tour. I made, you know, I think I played in a side tournament the next day and I, and I cashed that too. And I was just on a real heater mm-hmm. and that qualified me for world and for Honolulu and so that I was like, all right, we're, we're playing in the Pro Tours, boys. I, I was doing well in Star City Opens. And, um, yeah, so, and, and that was right when I started college. So I think actually, like, the first weekend of college, or one of the first, maybe second, I don't remember, I drove to Philadelphia, and, and I basically bookended my entire college experience with magic. Um, and right. I'm, you know... I'm pretty pretty proud of that that I got to play on basically all the pro tours uh, while I was in college, which takes a little bit of uh, of keeping of juggling all the different uh, tasks, school and 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 whatnot. I want to go back to Ben. I want to just go back to sort of like the because you described a lot of things. You went like to different pro tours and you faced defeat and then you came back stronger. I think that's kind of the hallmark of a. A true competitor is like when you lose. Uh, I think you said it was your the first pro tour you were playing against Tommy, and and you were just devastated, right? Like I'm trying to understand like your mindset. Like whenever you 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 miss something just barely, or you don't quite get the result you want, going from pro tour to pro tour, what's your mindset? Like what are you? What? How do you? How do you process that? Like with every every tournament. Okay, so. Um... Obviously, losing sucks, and I take it pretty hard. Um, there have been plenty of times, actually, 
where I've gone on losing streak, uh, or I, I collapse towards the end of a tournament, and I've had more more tournaments than I would care to count, where I have been in a strong position to make top eight and then kind of crumbled in the last three to five rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's tough. It's, you know, kind of a gut punch kind of feeling, but... I usually within a little uh, a day or two I'm able to kind of pull myself together and come back and I you know very frequently at the end of a tournament I'll say man I just wish I could run that tournament back I just want to play it again mm-hmm. and and that's that kind of hunger to just keep playing I just want one more one more crack at it um and that says a couple things one am I ever going to be satisfied um well I don't know uh, I may I may be the kind of person who just needs to go completely cold turkey um, in order to tear myself away from magic to pursue other things to a greater degree if that becomes something that I intellectually know that I would like to do. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get there. On the other hand, um, there have been some tournaments where I, you know, particularly uh, I remember... Both Pro Tour Honolulu's, I did not do very well uh, on the second day. Uh, I think I, yeah. And and I remember just walking around uh, the tournament hall, the convention center, um, thinking, man, I, I flew all the way out here. I spent a week preparing, and I, I just, to go out like this, man... I don't know. Am I, am I, am I just barking up the wrong tree? Should I be spending my time focusing on other things? I see friends, uh, I see friends doing, uh, better than I am academically because I am constantly reading magic articles and, and worrying about magic instead of making sure that I get all my schoolwork done. And, you know, not that I wasn't able to get all my schoolwork done, but I, you know, probably your your mind was focused more on magic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was splitting my time, and, and I saw that I wasn't doing as well as I could in either one. And and really a kind of self-defeating um, mindset going on where I, was, I had a, a ton of self-doubt. And, I mean, I still get that sometimes. I haven't in a while, but um, I recognize that I, I am, I am kind of pot committed at this, at this point to seeing magic through to whatever I deem to be, uh, a a natural success or a a complete success before I can kind of give it up. And I can put it on the back burner for a little while. and, And I've done that in the past, but, um, I've, I've basically invested the, you know, the, the idea of the 10,000 hours to excellence, I've invested that time. So it, it, it's just the kind of thing where I have gotten into the habit of, you know, persevering, getting back into it. And the, the length of time varies. Sometimes I'll take more time uh, off to decompress or less. Um, but the fact that a game, that this game is really the thing in my life that has made me feel the most it's really it's really something it's really something remarkable Mm -hmm. and 
I, even though the most acute feelings are, I'll, I'll use the word depression, but it's not, you know, chronic depression, but feeling depressed about losing, um, those are the most acute feelings. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's this game that gives those emotional roller coasters. And, and yeah, no question, when I'm winning in Magic, I feel absolutely great. Um, it, it's, it's a very a very beautiful natural high when mm-hmm. you are when you're winning. It's, those endorphins are just great. But the fact that this game is, has done that for me in ways that um, I don't think I would be able to get from driving around a cool car or uh, I don't know hooking up with a hot girl or or making a bunch of money or whatever other kind of material uh, comforts people get. I don't think that any of that can compare, which is really saying something. I mean, you know, really that it, it's that that uh, the magic that does that for me. And then obviously I have, you know, friends and family on that other kind of side of the coin of happiness that I care about deeply, but on that sort of personal achievement and fulfillment and sense of I'm, I'm doing it and I'm the man and that sense of accomplishment. And I, I can't really think of anything other than magic that gives me uh, such, such a strong vibe, which is, I guess, part of the reason why I keep coming back to it. And, and I, I understand why, you know, professional athletes get professional sports psychologists to help them get through this stuff and, and to keep their cool and to keep performing at an optimal level because uh, that, that stuff is that those feelings are real. And, and those chemicals, those endorphins that you release when you're winning and, and that really rock bottom sadness when you, you screw up and lose because of it. Um, that's, that's just kind of the spice of life. Emotion, <laughs> like that doesn't come across doesn't come along every uh every couple days right it's something that you that you need to to savor so yeah i mean i i persevere because uh i don't want to sound like um, i'm talking to a psychologist and i'm depressed but this is what makes me feel you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is part of you right i mean this is now part of your identity and you've you've done the 10 out invest the ten thousand hours and you're um, by all objective standards, quite good at it. So it's, it sounds like it's something that brings you satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, it's to the point where people, people often identify with their job and I, you know, have a job as a, as a software developer, but um, I think that my identity has been shaped more by magic than by really uh really almost anything else i I suppose except for my parents i remember reading a a quote from uh, huey jensen saying um magic has influenced him more than anything in the world uh magic and the people he's met have influenced him more than anything in the world uh with the possible exception of his parents um his his whole life has been about magic and to a, to some extent, I uh, I identify with that. I think that once you 
once you commit and once you you invest enough of your time and energy into magic, it uh, it touches you in um, in a really profound way. Right. So, is it enough for you to continue playing this game at a high level, or do you have specific goals in mind? Where, like, how how would you define success? I guess you could. I'm trying to understand that. Yeah, man. Um, so I have uh, locked in, to, to so to speak, locked in my 150 lifetime pro points, which will uh, allow me a vote for the Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame. So I'm going to be able to vote in my peers. To, to pick who I think is deserving of a spot in the Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. which is um, that that was a, a sort of soft goal that I had set for myself for a little while, just because that is a real dividing line between the people who have kind of played Magic, played professionally, people who who have really dedicated a significant chunk of their lives to being a professional Magic player. And right. I I guess even in my uh, even in my limited uh, life experience, it, it's been probably the activity I have spent the most time uh, doing and thinking about in my waking hours outside of you know sleeping and and, and school I I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um, I so so that was kind of a soft goal, and I hit that goal for uh, for, for the start of next season. I thought for a while that I would need to top eight a pro tour to kind of cement, all right, this has been, this has been my objective to kind of be a capstone of, of a a portion of my life. I don't know if that is necessarily going to kind of do it for me where I can say at that point that I'm satiated that, that I've played enough. Mm-hmm. I also don't know if even winning a pro tour would, would do that for me at that point. I would be, you know, kind of priced into playing more pro tours for the next year, year and, or two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even the kind of the ultimate goal, you know, win a pro tour, get into the hall of fame. Right. Yeah. That would be, remarkable and i would i i would consider devoting a disproportionately large amount of my time and energy to coming to to overcoming that next hump Mm -hmm. to to getting on the pro tour getting getting back on there and and really making making my mark and making this be the thing i'm going to spend my 20s doing Mm -hmm. i think that at this point, though, I have, I am comfortable stepping back. So, so these are goals that I kind of had, and I thought, you know, okay, this is this is what I can do. But I also recognize that my time and energy is valuable and limited, and I. I believe that so, so right now my, my, my larger life goals, uh, step one is to get to a point where I am no longer, um, 
obligated to work for a living, right? Financial independence. Um, and that right. could involve magic. I have, you know, been contemplating different ways of getting to the point where I can use magic and potentially helping coaching, teaching uh, other people because I, I always did enjoy giving back and teaching and uh, figuring out some way to, to stitch that all together would be the real kind of the the, the platform off of which I could then decide, all right, now we're going to make a serious run uh, for ourselves. Now I'm going to make a serious run for myself at, uh, at becoming one of the best players ever. Right. Um, so, so that is, that is an option. I think that my other option is to, um, to take a step back and to Pick up my, my, my Hall of Fame invite, say this is this is the sign that I have accomplished something, maybe not exactly what I initially set out to accomplish, um, or maybe not, you know, as much of an accomplishment as I could hope for, but an accomplishment nonetheless. Um, and use that and, and, and then put magic to the side and come back if and when I am good and ready. Um, magic is not going anywhere and spend the next couple years uh, optimizing other areas of my life. Right. So I have, a, I have this choice in front of me, James. I, I don't know, and no one can really make this decision for me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a decision that I have to make for myself. But that said, uh, I'm going to kind of ride out the uh, rest of this, of this season and this year. I'm going to go to Honolulu if for some fortuitous reason, I end up doing supremely well in one of these tournaments, then I will stick around. And if not, then uh, I'm going to probably consult with the same kind of same people that I've always consulted with, you know, friends from magic and, uh, and uh, mom and dad and get and and get to the point where I'm comfortable making that decision uh, one way or the other, because, um, I, I have been doing sort of half measures for, for a little while, trying to keep a bunch of different uh, objectives going. And um, some of my, my best friends have said, you know, look, if, if you want to, to absolutely be world class at, at anything, you need to have kind of a single-minded obsessive focus. And that's what you had with magic way back when all the, when all, the only other things you had to worry about were some dumb, some dumb uh, high school classes, and that's what got you here. But you are not going to be able to balance that with the rest of the real world demands. You need to kind of put up or shut up. And and yeah. I'm I'm comfortable either way. But um, I think that you know sometimes magic players say, "Oh, if I can't make a decision, I'll just flip a coin." I guess this is basically my version of that, where I'm saying I'm going to go to the, the Pro Tour in Honolulu, and um, I'll play in the tournaments I'm qualified for. But I, if if it's not if it's not meant to be, then uh, then it's not meant to be, and and I will uh, kind of bid Magic uh, not a not a goodbye, but a uh, 
but uh, so long and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see you in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy sometimes how tough life can be, right? There's these forks in the road and you just, I mean, we always look back and think of it as little points on the map or forks on the road, but it's, it's tough, man. Like I've been there and I know other people, other people have been there. It's, um, like, I feel like, yeah, sometimes we do have to make a sort of ultimatum for ourselves in life, but we also, or at least I also wonder, like, is it fair to do that? I mean, um, of course it's good to have a focus, but, um, am I going to make a decision and then regret, regret it? <laughs> That's sort of, yeah, uh, I mean, analysis paralysis, dude, you, you, yeah. you sit around thinking about all this stuff and the, the problem is that you get very comfortable, you get habits and you get set in your habits. And, um, you maybe rationally, intellectually know that you should be doing something different. And, and like you said, you, sometimes you got to give yourself that ultimatum because if you don't, then you can end up kind of half-assing it through huge swaths of your life. And, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that anyone wants to do that. I, I mean, I, I've, I've, I commend people like Neil Oliver, who, who made a, a blog about they're going to just spend one year making magic their job. They're going to, to put in eight hours a day playing magic online. And, and this is what they're going to do. And they, it's because they care deeply about it. And, and it, if they fail, at least they put in, they, at least they tried their, their damnedest. Right. No regrets kind of thing. And, yeah. And I respect that immensely. And I respect also the people who say, yeah, you know, magic is just, going to be kind of a sideshow in my life uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, people like my teammate Tim Wu did that for, for years. And then suddenly it all kind of came together for him um, in the span of a, a Grand Prix and a couple of the subsequent pro tours to the point where now he's saying, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe now he's, you know, in his late thirties, he's saying, I'm going to put together uh, another, another run at it. Cause he was playing in pro tours when I was in, uh, in preschool and now he's he's coming back at it and and that and, and i respect both of those decisions but um i also recognize that that i have this kind of that everybody has this kind of tendency to keep doing what they're doing just go with the flow and you get into a rut and um and so yeah i, I do want to give myself that ultimatum like we were talking about right right and you were talking about you know, at some point when you do have to make this decision, you're going to be consulting with your family and perhaps closest magic playing friends. Who are your mm -hmm. closest magic playing friends? So, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a big list. I, I, I have a lot of people who I am comfortable talking about really intimate personal decisions and, and, uh, I won't say crisis, but you know, uh, personal problems that I need to work through. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I guess first and foremost, um, probably, uh, Alex Majlaton, who, uh, I hope at some point you'll be able to interview because he also has a, an interesting story. Um, so I'm, I'm going to consult with him. Uh, I have, um, a bunch of other great friends, uh, Joe Demestrio, who, uh, I, I personally feel like I, helped him in a lot of the same ways that I was helped. So kind of a pay it forward kind yeah. of effect. Yeah. Um, when he was 
a little bit socially stunted and uh, and and just kind of working on, in his own words, becoming a real person. Um, and and we've grown together to the point where, yeah, you know, uh, I'm comfortable consulting him on on any of this stuff, and we thought, you know, the purpose of life and happiness and all that good, and uh, we're very much on the same wavelength mm-hmm. with regard to a lot of that. Uh, I would I would also probably to uh, good friend Christian Calcano, who has a wildly different perspective than I do, um, a lot because of his background, um, and, and you should also, if you get the chance, try and interview him, um, but, but he is the person who I think is absolutely the most committed to playing magic. Like he, he will never give it up. That, that is him. He will never give it up. That's what you said. Yeah. So, so just learning, uh, just, just, yeah. Talking to him is a real treat, and uh, and and yeah, I would want to consult with him to get his sense of what what to do in that spot. Um, but obviously, I recognize that he has slightly different priorities than I do. So, taking all that into account, Dan Jordan, uh, another uh, great friend who. Um, you know, we, we've grown up together as well, and, and we talk uh, several times a week. Um, and I've talked to him about, hey, you know, maybe I should go uh, move out to Vegas with you, and you can teach me how to play uh, play play Texas Hold'em for a living. And, you know, just just all these different options. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many uh, people doing completely different things, different slices of life that I've met through Magic that I would have never met uh, otherwise, but I can, uh, get, get his perspective as well. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, hell, I can, I can ask, um, people like Craig Wesco or Sam Black who have, uh, some really, really fascinating life philosophies, Hmm. the kind of thing that you, you really have to talk to them to, to, to believe it. But, um, it, it's always, really eye-opening to just hear how they look at the world and how they would use their perspective to to make this kind of decision um and and yeah of course uh, a, a lot of my teammates on east west bowl i would uh try and solicit their advice as well um you know granted there are again people in more or less uh comparable situations to me with more or less uh salient expertise for the ability to kind of uh, empathize with my situation because they've been in a similar one. But um, yeah, to, to make the, the answer super short, I think that Alex Madge is probably my uh, number one go-to guy to um, solicit advice from. And then uh, Joe DiMestrio just to kind of hash out all right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, and, you know, he and I have been have talked about this stuff ad nauseum <laughs> to uh, diff- different potential plans and, and timeframes and things like that. Uh, and, and yeah, if I can, if I can help, uh, help any of those guys out in any way possible, I definitely would. So that's, that's what you really want out of magic is people you can ask about life decisions more than just, oh, did I play the game right? <laughs> I think I punted, oh, you know, 
no, I think that was a bad a bad mulligan or bad keep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now these people that you mentioned, they sound like they're really good friends with uh, you know people that you go to go to war with, uh, so to speak. And I'm just wondering if I'm going to ask you about some of the best magic related memories you've ever had. Do they involve these people? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah the the best magic related memories that um, that I think there are are the pre pro tour testing houses. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know. Imagine being on a, it, it's something in between a, a frat house and MTV cribs and, <laughs> just, and, and, and just like real life magic online. And, um, just this, this giant brain trust, uh, and, yeah, yeah, mix mix MTV and and the the Food Network because we're also always eating. And it's just it's just basically every everything that a uh, a young magic addicted uh, guy would want to do. That's that's what you have in the house. It's it's a complete escape from reality, okay. and it's the kind of thing that you look back and you say, "Wow, you know, we stayed up and." I mean, I remember in, in, in one testing house and I'm, I'm always jet lagged from the random, the random trip. Sure. In one testing house, I stayed up all night long testing, uh, testing some matchup in Brussels. And then I, and then I was doing my, my physics midterm. Uh, and then I, I stayed up and, and we were doing kind of sleeping shifts and you just kind of get into this weird, delirious, like happy state and, and, people are stressing about decks and, and it's just the kind of thing where you have to step back and say, wow, you know, this is, this is an experience that, that you can have in life. Like this is allowed. This is crazy. (laughs) This is so far removed. And you're all complicit in this experience too. (laughs) Yeah. And you're there with your, your best friends and, uh, you meet people from all over. I mean, in a testing house in Hawaii, you, you just come up, everyone has nicknames for each other and everyone's got, you know, like little catchphrases that people are saying, uh, you know, all the best magic slang is made in these testing houses. Um, so every, every dumb piece of magic slang you've heard probably comes from one of those. Um, you know, yeah. So, so what can I say? Uh, the Honolulu beach house. I'm so excited. I'm going to, I'm going to call those people up on, uh, and try and re-rent from them. I'll have to call them up this week <laughs> to try and re-rent from them in October because it was just, it, it's, it's just a, a complete escape from reality. You, you you step off that plane in whatever city and, and you meet up with all your friends. And I, m- one of my friends, we rented a sports car. We rented a, a red, uh, a red Camaro. And I drove that around Hawaii to go pick up, to go pick up draft drafting. And I was blasting the radio and I thought, this is, this is like a video game. Right. It, it's not real. It's surreal. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it, it's it's crazy, and and then and then we all eat, eat a giant tub of ice cream at at midnight because that's what I like to do, and you know, or or in uh, so, so yeah, the, the testing houses in in Portland it was awesome. Uh, you know, it, it's it it's like summer camp. It, right. It's magic summer camp, and it is yeah. It, looking back, I mean. If I, I, I would go, I, I would do it all again, uh, for, for those experiences. Um, you just, 
you just while away the hours just palling around with your friends and um you you know this is this that is the good life that right. that is if if uh yeah if i could come up with with kind of a, a a dream situation it would be like every month or every other month have just a a week week or two weeks hell whatever if we're if we're we're fantasizing right where right. where it's just hanging out in a beach house playing magic um you know not a care in the world yeah seriously yeah. except except of course what that 15th sideboard spot is going to be <laughs> then everyone's <laughs> yeah, stressing out yeah so it sounds like through that i mean obviously house of magic degenerate sounds awesome and i i would imagine that you've been able to make a lot of really really good friendships through that or or maybe yeah. make existing friendships even stronger kind of thing yeah you forge a really deep bond um even you know guys that i i met yeah so so i met these british dudes um and i had kind of met met those guys at, at actually my very first pro tour and then they were requalified for the pro tour in honolulu and i had occasion to invite them back onto our team and um and and it was great you know we were making all kinds of dumb jokes uh you know british people have their own slang so just like the weird the weird melting pot of british and american slang um uh, it, it it was it was really something and um if i'm if i'm ever in uh, the uk those are the people i'm going to message on facebook and say hey you know let's meet up let's go uh, let's go grab a beer or something um and just and just catch up and you know it's the same with uh I have some Italian friends, uh, and, and those are people that I've talked to about really m more profound things than just, oh, you know, magic. It's like, oh, you know, they're, they're struggling with similar identity crises that we are here, you know, saying, oh, I don't know if I should devote more time to magic. So, you know, Andre Mangucci, he, he was in the finals of the last Pro Tour. He and I really, like, like I... I really bonded with that kid um, talking about, you know, his, his questions about whether he should be continuing with his law school stuff mm -hmm. over in Italy or, or what he, he said he really wanted to try and uh, move to the United States because uh, he didn't think that, uh, that there was a future for him in Italy. And he, and he just loved every time he was in America. So, so yeah, you, you really end up, having some some friendships that I don't think even the most uh, preposterously deluded gambler would, would put odds on you to make that friendship before knowing that you played magic, you know? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm some kid born in Baltimore. Here's some kid born in some small town in Italy, and we end up being close friends. Uh, to the point where we, you know, have our own little rapport and, and dumb slang and catchphrases that we use with each other and nicknames and crap like that. That's, that's crazy. And I mean, everyone has stuff like that, but magic disproportionately gives you those outlier experiences. And, yeah. and that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it has these sort of, like, uh, global connections, and I suppose that's the, the magic of magic, so to speak. It, yeah, for real. And, yeah, if anyone's listening to this, if you can gather some of your friends and do a testing house 
a pro tour location, if you if you can screw together a team in any way, shape, or form, you do that because it is something you will carry with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's great. Uh, great advice to live by, definitely. And uh, for all the listeners out there, definitely try to get um, get that set up. <laughs> yeah, if you qualify for the pro tour, shit, message me. I'll. Uh, I'll give you give you every every piece of uh, of well weathered advice that I can from the pro tour, uh, but nice. yeah, I mean it, it's it's a great experience. It's definitely definitely worth it just to kind of the same reason why do people climb a mountain because it's there. Why do you go? Why do you devote so much time and energy to qualifying for the pro tour? Well, because it's there. Yeah, because it's there. That yeah. that's just kind of a big part of it. Yeah, it's, I don't know why, but you just reminded me of uh, something that Antoine Walker, the basketball player, said. Like, you know, they asked him why he's shooting the the three point shot because he said because the four point shot is not available. You know, so <laughs> yeah, you you gotta you gotta aim aim high, you know, and uh, and Magic does does sometimes teach that even uh, even if the lesson is lost in the noise most of the time. Right. Right. Okay, so Ben, I'm gonna segue. I'm gonna segue over to kind of a what I'll call a rapid fire Q and A speed round. The questions cool. here are not really connected from what we discussed, but I kind of want to get your your thoughts on them. So I'm just gonna go through with them them with you one by one, if you don't mind. All right, hit me. Yeah. So, what's something that you've learned that you would go back and tell yourself as a Magic player if you could go back five years, if you had a time machine? Okay, as a Magic player, um, right around five years ago, I received this advice. Figure it out for yourself. Do not trust your friends. Do not trust the internet. Do not trust the Jerry Thompson article you read on Star City Games to tell you how to do something. The, you gain more than double what you would by just blindly following advice. It's, it's at least three times as valuable to figure it out for yourself. The, the, the fact that people are relying on sideboard guides is basically a, a huge crutch, a giant sign that they are uh, both not particularly prepared and not getting better and getting more prepared and getting uh, more experience for later. Additionally, if you, if you say, oh, you know, I'm just going to play uh, the stock deck and I don't really have that much experience, Again, you need to figure this stuff out for yourself. People tell you a matchup is bad. Good. Good for them. The matchup is bad. But I still want to figure that stuff out for myself. Mm -hmm. People getting hyped on a specific rare and standard, you, you would be surprised at the, the stupidity of crowds. People talk about the wisdom of crowds, mm -hmm. but occasionally there is the stupidity of crowds, and you need to figure that out for yourself. I, I personally play decks, some, some tempo decks, in a different way than other people would, and that's okay. And there is no, there is not necessarily one, you know, sacrosanct way that you absolutely must play. And sometimes you get a lot of edge from playing a little differently. So figure the stuff out for yourself. It will pay tons of dividends and, um, so many people that I try to help with magic are asking for a cookie cutter solution. Yep. Uh, how, how should I build my deck? How should I sideboard? What should the plan be? 
And I just want to kind of say, look, bro, it honestly, it doesn't matter what I tell you because you're not going to win because you're not helping yourself. So right. that's the one piece of advice. Okay, so what about advice that you would go back and tell yourself that might be non-magic related, just life related? Okay, um, that's a, whew, a little bit of a more open-ended question. Um, so I would say um, do not half-ass two things, or more in my case, three or four things, whole-ass one thing. If you're going to, if you're going to de- dedicate time to doing something, do it. And that's, you know, the one big piece of advice. There's, you know, plenty of little, little things like, you know, you only live, you only live once. YOLO. Time is yeah. of the essence. Yeah. YOLO. So go, go, you know, talk to that girl that you, that you see who you're too scared to talk to, or, you know, go introduce yourself to, uh, to the player at a magic tournament who you, you know, you, you think that they're a little better than you, great, go introduce yourself and, and talk to them, ask if they'd like to play. You know, there are so many people out there with such a, a combined wealth of experience for you to learn from and such a giant range of experiences and an enrichment to your life that you're missing out on. And it's your own damn fault if you don't just go for it. Right. Right. So you punted if you don't go talk to all those people. If you don't, at the very least, put yourself out there. That's good. That's good. Yeah, so next question here. Are there specific lessons you've learned about magic that you have applied to other parts of your life? Okay. So, let's see. Um, Yeah, so I think we were talking about this one uh, earlier offline. Um, Yeah, so magic has shown me so I, I've always been a little bit of a value conscious individual, right? And, you know, people can make jokes, whatever. But I think that part of it stems from uh, way back in the day, my grandpa, I remember he yelled at me one time because I didn't finish my yogurt. And, uh, you know, starving kids in Africa, you finish your yogurt. And he was, you know, a child of the Great Depression. Sure. So this this stuff was important to him. And, uh, and, and Magic, in the same way, kind of said, finish your damn yogurt, you know. Play your cards in, in the way such that you maximize your value, you know, maximizing your number of cards seen or maximizing your number of outs or maximizing your cards drawn. You just always squeeze every last uh, ounce of value out of your cards. Do not just kind of burn them. Okay. At the same time, you don't have to just do stuff because you can. You can kind of be a little patient, save your cards, in such a way that you might be able to use them to better effect later delayed gratification. This right. is especially important in legacy brainstorm and fetch lands, etc. Your brainstorm improves with time, like a fine wine brainstorm gets better with age. The more cards you have in your hand, the, the better the brainstorm card selection is going to be. Now, yeah. That's like what AJ said in that one time in that article, which is like the best yep. brainstorm is the one you never cast. Right. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, I think that um, that that I'm a little bit single-minded in that respect, right? So I I do think that 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 lesson has ported over to real life, where I'm very frequently thinking about, uh, you know, 
sunk cost, time value of doing something or um, just kind of, you know, how, how I can maximally squeeze the, the most enjoyment and value out of every drop of life, every second in my life. Yeah. And, and that has its benefits, but it also keeps your mind constantly kind of having little side programs running in the background of constantly trying to evaluate, am I doing the best possible thing that I could be doing with my time right now, which is not great. And so it's influenced me for the good or for ill. I can't be a hundred percent sure, but that sense of um, value and, you know, you could extend it to just a general frugality or a general um, attempt to eke out the most is something that, you know, I I do consciously keep in check because you don't always want to be constantly thinking about maximizing your equity. That's not really, that that too is not a, a great way to live. That's not a good way to maximize your equity. If you know, it's, it's kind of a self-defeating prophecy. Yeah, that's but, the irony. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of the the weakness of that strategy, and uh, maturing has taught me that. Right. Right. Okay, that's a really good answer. So, next question: Do you have any mentor figures who have helped you improve your game and outlook over the years? Yeah, I mean, we we've, we've hit on on all of them already in the in the interview. I That's mean, right. A, AJ Soccer told me about gave me that advice about figure it out for yourself years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I've I've gotten loads of great advice from a, a number of different people. Um, I would say probably you know. Um, the, those guys way back in the early days must have given me tons of tons of pointers about getting better at magic. Uh, you know, I remember one about you know, cast your instant at the end of their turn instead of during your main phase. But that was you know, this must have been ten years ago at, at this point that that I got that friendly piece of advice from uh, from some local back at Legends at the comic store in Baltimore. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, what what about when it comes to drafting or uh, or certain ways to play the game? Oh uh, yeah, uh, so as much as uh, as we have a, a a a really funny rapport uh, and kind of this never completely serious way of interacting with each other, I I am eternally grateful to Jacob Wilson for for teaching me. Uh, a few lessons about how to improve my drafting game. Um, very, very often, uh, you burn way more mental energy freaking out about what colors everyone else is in and worrying about signals, and, and you end up getting getting yourself in very deep messes when you are drafting if you allow yourself to focus on things that don't matter quite as much in an attempt to be quote unquote, a good player and a good drafter, mm-hmm. you're very often better off just minimizing your decision tree so that you can make the best decision out of a limited subset of decisions. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm grateful to Jacob for basically saying it's not a crime to force. 
it's not a crime to, um, especially if you're inexperienced in a format, just have a, a an extreme preference for drafting one strategy over another. And if you're comfortable building one kind of deck, then that's okay. And you will often be advantaged against the people who waffled, they, they quote, stayed open, they stayed flexible, and you have a higher expected value out of every draft if you are comfortable drafting one or two or three archetypes rather than trying to stay open for a bunch and never really quite settling down until you've already lost a little bit of equity of card quality, never mind that you may just kind of jump around in the musical chairs and never actually end up getting a good seat at the table if you're going to, you know, use the metaphor where the different archetypes are the different seats. I think this is a really good example, Ben, because it goes back to what you were just saying about think for yourself. I mean, there's probably conventional wisdom that says you should do this to be a good player or you should be doing that this time. But I think, um, you know, the fact that Jacob gave you this advice, it's something that he seems to have figured out for himself, right? And it's also a combination of that plus knowing himself or knowing yourself as a player and, uh, and, and creating the right shortcuts or styles as, as it benefits you personally, as opposed to like reading an article that says you should be doing that, you know? Yeah. Know yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. And if more magic players took that advice, I think that, well, fortunately and unfortunately, there'd be a hell of a lot less of an edge for the pro players to gain. Uh, but I think I think that you would find people improving uh, rapidly. Right, right. Okay, next question. You have been known for wearing some interesting fashions when you play Magic, when it comes to coverage and other things. Yeah. What's the story behind that? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, it's kind of a larger story that uh, getting more comfortable in my own skin and um, I was never that confident of a kid growing up and um, just like with everything else, magic kind of helped me in that sense. So, so in college, I, um, I learned about, you know, some of my friends were saying, yeah, you know, we go, we go out to parties and, and we don't care. We, we do, we, we'll do clowning. We'll just dress up in like, you know, overalls or something preposterous and, and it doesn't matter. And it's just like a conversation piece and, and who, who gives a crap? It's just, just have fun with it. Yeah. And it's hard to not be the guy having fun. If you're wearing something preposterous, you're wearing like a conversation piece <laughs> and you know, people may say, Oh, you're, you're just doing it for the attention. Yeah. You know what I am. I'm doing it so that I will, I will be the center of attention and I will have a great time. And, you know, and I hopefully will pull other people into my energy and my attention and my great time and hopefully make the night more fun for everybody. So I thought about that at magic tournaments. And I said, you know, it is hard to be too down on yourself. If you're wearing a straw hat and a Hawaiian shirt or, or a make America great again, hat or whatever, I don't know, just <laughs> some, some nonsense. Just, you know, just have fun with it. And I, I can't you know, le- legitimately wear that at work, but hell on the weekends. Yeah. I, I, I like kind of tweaking the nose of, of this kind of overtly professional culture of, of magic where, you know, yeah, loosen up a little bit. This is, this is the weekend. We're here to have a good time. 
Um, and, and I think Magic has lost some of that uh, as it matured as a, as a game and as the Pro Tour has matured. It's interesting to hear you say that because you're the last person I would expect to hear that. Because on paper, you're a very accomplished player, pro. You have so many Pro Tour appearances and Grand Prix top eights and you know high finishes. And so I would have... I don't know. I, I guess I'm outside of this group, but I always kind of felt that there was this image that the pros were trying to build of like, we have this legitimate profession and we're going to wear ties and suits and that kind of thing. I, I don't yeah. know. Like it, it, it feels like a little bit counter to conventional wisdom, but maybe that's what it's about, you know? Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, yeah, people say, oh yeah, it's, it's just another way of being a hipster and, and doing stuff ironically. But my attitude was, you know, take it easy. Don't take yourself so seriously. Um, my, my dream would be to go to a job where I can just wear a tank top and, and basketball shorts. It's comfortable. It's like freaking wearing pajamas all the time. But, um, I mean, I, I can mix it up. I mean, I can wear nice clothing and I recognize that there is a time and place for it. But, um, I, I think that it, it actually gets me more cachet and, notoriety to wear the goofy stuff uh compared to the pros who are trying to project this image of uh sober professionalism mm-hmm. plus you know it's just it's just plain fun wearing you know wearing nonsensical crap right you're you're forcing fun and, and it's it's fun for you and hopefully it's fun for other people to to see that right maybe one person picks it up and who knows right yeah i mean i i recognize in some ways you know like it's, it's clowning so yeah i'm being a clown but you know whatever i i like i like when the tournament has a little bit more life to it and um if that means that uh that people will say oh you're not taking it seriously well you know whatever yeah yeah that's fair that's fair i noticed that you have a very interesting blog website and uh, modernmanifesto.com modern manifesto and tell me about it and because you there's writing on there that I don't usually see from people who are very dedicated to magic and I know I'm kind of generalizing here but it, it seems like you're doing something interesting with that can you tell me how you came up with the the concept behind the site and what kind of things you write about just for people who may not be familiar with it yeah man so real quick um, this was something I was doing a lot more last summer I graduated from college and I got my job and I was feeling in a kind of a creative rut and I I like talking about philosophy and I I like expressing myself I like sharing ideas maybe there's a little bit of narcissism where I think I have such great ideas I'm mature enough to recognize that that's possibly a thing and you know hopefully not be too uh too overt about it but um yeah i i just i felt like i needed to express myself i i i was bitten by the writing bug so i made the blog and uh it's been on and off you know i write in fits and starts and it is something i would like to get back to because i haven't really written very much on the blog in the last six months but um it's it's basically just talking about uh very very large scale from the top down life and philosophical goals and um where 
what uh, beliefs you can use as your postulates from which to develop a consistent philosophical worldview and hopefully guide your actions uh, as a result. And um, it's the kind of thing that I like thinking about, but it's also the kind of thing that's very, very easy in the um, hustle and bustle of day-to-day life to forget about. And so it's there and um, you're reminding me about it means I should probably go take another look at it. And uh, I have some kind of half-baked ideas to throw back up on there. And um, I would, of course, always love to hear any feedback if anyone listening to this uh, wants to uh, message me about it. I I love talking about that stuff. I just, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm starting a mission now. So for all of you guys listening, please go and reach out to Ben Freeman. Tell him to write more on modernmanifesto.com. If you have not gone to that site, please do, because there's some really interesting writing on there. Yeah, I mean, if you guys if you guys want to, uh, I'm I'm happy. It, it is it is it is nice uh, to kind of get get a flow of ideas going back and forth. Um, so yeah, again, it's one of those things that I kind of half asked half-assed it and work and it kind of fell by the wayside and i i think you know five years ago advice hell i should be giving myself that advice right now and uh we'll see we'll see what the next couple months hold for me uh with regard to all that but um i am i am looking forward to uh to potentially getting back to doing some uh, more creative outlets and uh, maybe even writing, you know, philosophy, magic strategies, some, some more writing, I think would be, uh, would be much, much welcomed in my life these days. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, ben, just to wrap things up, uh, I want to ask you one final question. Mm-hmm. If there was a player who is starting to play competitive magic for the first time, uh, what's the first bit of advice that you would tell him or her? Okay, uh, so let's let's assume meet. I'm, I'm meeting a local player. They're just getting competitive, and they say, "I I want to be like you. I want to I want to play on the pro tour, Ben." And I say, "All right, great. Uh, you need to first of of course play a lot." Uh, and play with people better than you and hopefully go to competitive events and, and play in those, um, you need to probably really, really learn the ins and outs of a standard deck or hell modern or legacy deck, but if you only have the time and, and uh, investment for a standard deck, really for a, for a season, learn the ins and outs of a standard deck, preferably the one of the best decks, but just get that and, and, and just play hundreds and hundreds of games with it against everything. And you will start to see things emerge that you didn't think about before, especially if you play in the company of people better than you. So if you can do that, I think that it gives you the fastest shortcut to building building up a, a very robust skill set because you're kind of you're building tall rather than wide. You're getting a a very deep education 
in one archetype and you can leverage that to give you more information about subsequent archetypes, especially if it's, you know, kind of uh, a, a consistent mainstay, like a, a good mid-range deck. You can use that and, and keep, keep kind of rolling with that. And I think that that's your best bet because waffling around, though it's similar to that kind of drafting advice we were talking about earlier, waffling around, you are not go, you're, you're going to never master anything and you're half-assing a bunch of things instead of whole-assing one thing. So that is the fast track to uh, getting good. And to master a deck, you play it a lot. You play with people better than you. You ask for advice. You, you know, watch videos, et cetera, et cetera. And just get it so that everything is super natural, super, you're, you're super comfortable with everything, and playing the deck is second nature to you. Got it. So, Ben, I am super grateful that you made the time to talk to me today. I wish you continued success in all your magic endeavors, and I hope that we can do this again sometime. Yeah, my pleasure. I, was, I would love to chat again. Uh, let me know, uh, you know if, if you want to do a follow-up or if you want me to, uh, to try and link you up with some of the people that I mentioned in the, uh, in the interview today. I, I'm sure at least a few of them would be amenable to... Uh, to chatting with you and, and those guys all have great stories. So yeah, looking forward to, ch to, to chatting with you in the future. All right. And uh, so I hope you have an awesome day. All right. Yeah. Take it easy. Have a good one. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of humans of magic. I would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.